You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. Please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. We will be reading verses 1 through 9. Genesis 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good. Kids, you are dismissed. We have redemptional kids for kids ages 2 to 4, if that serves you, and 5 to 9 as well, and you may be seated. If kids are staying in, we do have sermon notes in the hallway. We also have totes in there, so if it serves you, you can grab that and bring it to your seat. Well, we are, as many of you know, in the middle of our short sermon series called All for Christ. Uh, We took a short break from our sermon series going through the Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And we'll get back to that in a couple weeks. Um, We're we're in this sermon series because reminders are helpful and important as a church. We need to remind ourselves of why we exist as a local body. Uh, This happened to me this morning, and I'm sure it's happened to you. I'm about ready to leave and, and come here to Radiant Elementary. And I, and I just had my keys literally two minutes prior. And all of a sudden, they're gone. <laughs> like, they're gone. And I'm scrambling, you know. And I finally found them. Um, and uh, it's just, I need, it's like, I, I'm forgetful. My point is, I'm, we're forgetful and we need to be reminded. We constantly need to be reminded. We can say we're forgetful, perhaps over time, but... Uh, we need to remember why 
we exist as a local church. Therefore, it is good to occasionally to kind of recalibrate, okay, what's this whole thing all about? Uh, it's not uncommon for a member of the church, even, who've maybe been attending for years, who like, why do we exist as a church, you know? Uh, today, I'm going to be preaching sermon, sermon number three of four, and next week, I'll, I'll preach a truncated sermon leading to our, our family meeting. At our family meeting, just so you know, I want us to rejoice at what God has done. I want to rejoice at what God is doing, and then, to some degree, set a trajectory for the future where I think God is leading us. Um, so this family meeting is be a bit about vision, and we'll talk a little bit about the nuts and bolts of, of Redemption Hill Church and what things look like going forward. Um, but also going to provide an opportunity for you, just so you know, to ask questions. So if you're sitting here thinking, okay, I got I have these questions, you know, I've been wanting to ask that, that is always welcomed, always, every time, welcomed. So I'm going to create some space for you to ask, ask some of those questions. So all are welcome to attend, whether you've been a regular tender or a member. So that's where we're headed. Just want to let you know so the expectations are clear. If I'm not clear, you can pull me aside later, and I'd love to... Um, become more clear, I guess. So let me pray. We'll get into um, today's message. Holy Father, we thank you for your word. And uh, your word is clear. Your word is good. And as we consider what it means to be all for Christ, for all of life, and now for all of the Des Moines Metro, Lord, um, help us to look and see what you've spoken in Genesis 12. An unlikely place to go, but a particular passage that has immense implications. Father, I pray that by the Spirit you'd help me to be clear and faithful and be with my friends that are in front of me, Lord. May they receive your word this morning and pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So Redemption Church, I've been saying it, exists all for Christ, for all of life, for all of the Des Moines Metro. I'll continue to say it. Hopefully <laughs> you can say it back to me, right? All of Christ, for all of life, for all of the Des Moines Metro. Individually and corporately, we exist to worship and praise Jesus with every fiber and every atom. We are unapologetic about who we worship and why we worship. We worship God and we worship God because in the Son of God we have life. That was the sermon two Sundays ago. We have life in Christ. And one aspect of our worship, our worship of God, is that we're doing things now to invest into the future. What we do now, we want to invest into the future 5, 10, 100 years from now. I took you to Deuteronomy 6 last week to help you see that God has instructed us to train and catechize our children. And that's another thing we're unapologetic about. Yes, we are indeed catechizing our kids, 100%. Training and catechizing takes place in the home, and it takes place in church. So this morning, I want to build on these two messages by explaining what it means now to be a blessing in our community. You can think of the flow of the sermon series this way. The first message focused on Christ, our, our Lord and Savior. The second message focused on the bride of Christ, that is his church, in particular this local church. Today's message will focus on the role we play as a local church, the role we play within this Des Moines Metro. And I'm using broadly Des Moines Metro because our folks go from Ankeny to Adel and everything in between, right? That is a broad swath, but we are indeed all part of the same metro area. 
Now, some of you might be, might be bracing for a sermon on evangelism, an evangelism sermon. You might, be, you might have anticipated me going to maybe Matthew 28, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You might anticipate uh, a message from Acts 1, but you will receive power, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, right? I've preached those messages before. Those are great uh, passages to preach on. We should memorize these passages, but I'm not preaching from either passage for several reasons. Another passage is that are you know, very much have that evangelism flavor to it. First, I think we have treated these passages in, in isolation from a foundation. What I mean is that we tend to read Matthew 28 and Acts 1 and think only about evangelism. The temptation is to say, Redemption Hill is for all of the Des Moines metro, therefore we must evangelize. On the one hand, we, the church, need to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Des Moines metro. Yes and amen. Yes, absolutely. However, evangelism is only one leg of a table in which why we exist in the Des Moines metro. If we conclude that the church only exists in this location in the middle of Iowa, we only exist to evangelize. We fall short of the mandate that we read about here in Genesis 12. We fall short of the mandate to be a blessing. So yes, tell your neighbor about Jesus 110%, 1,000%. I have preached that message over and over and over. And I'll continue to preach that message. But this morning, I want to step back and take a broader view why Redemption Hill exists in the Des Moines Metro. I want to look at every leg of the table, as it were, as to why we exist. I'm going to talk about the purpose of the church by going back, as you saw from what Dean read, going back to the book of Genesis. And it's amazing to me, just as a kind of a footnote, how much of what we know and what we believe and what we read in the New Testament can be traced back to Genesis. And today is no exception. Why go to Genesis? Genesis is our starting point because we read of the moment when God chose a people for himself and gave that people a purpose. We read in Genesis 12, and it is repeated throughout the Old Testament, that the people of God exist with a specific purpose. Like, have you ever asked the psychological question, why do I exist? Why are you here? If you are a Christian, I have an answer for you from Genesis 12. I want to emphatically make this point again, and I made it last week because we looked at Deuteronomy 6. All of the Bible is Christian scripture and Christian history. All of the Bible. All of the evangelism passages in the New Testament make sense when, when placed within the right context, specifically today of Genesis 12. Genesis 12 serves as a critical pivot point in the overall storyline of the Bible. Before Genesis 12, we do read about the creation of the world, right? That's Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, We read about when and how sin entered the world, Genesis 3. Right after sin entered the world, which now grips the heart of man, we read about the first murder. Cain murdered his brother Abel, Genesis 4. 
In Genesis 5, we are introduced to this guy named Noah, and we all know what happened during the life of Noah. Corruption was just going roughshod over man on earth, right? And so what do we have? We got a flood. After the flood abated, we read in Genesis 11 about how the people were reverting to old habits and old ways. In their pride, they built a tower, the Tower of Babel. You guys know these stories, right? And I quote, Let us make a name for ourselves, the people were saying, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. One of the perpetual sins of humanity is that we try to be like God. In our pride, we take the blessings of God and use His blessings to be like God. The people of Babel are a case in point. So, the Lord scattered the people of Babel and confused, we read, the languages of all the people on the earth. And then, at the end of Genesis 11, a man named Abram is introduced. So that's kind of the backstory leading up to the end of Genesis 11 and really getting into Genesis 12. Abram is introduced. Abram is not an insignificant person in the Bible. Abram and his influence are felt in the New Testament. Why? Because it is through the family line of Abram in which the entire world which includes our community, this local community, will be blessed. It's through this line of this one man in which the, the nations we read will be blessed. I think you should note the connection between Genesis 11 and Genesis 12. The sense in Genesis 11 is that man was localized to some degree. We're all kind of here together. We're building this massive tower, right? The Tower of Babel. They were corrupt. They wanted to be like God. So God scattered the people and confused their language. Then God does something interesting in Genesis 12. He chose a people for himself, and then he said to his people to go be a blessing to all the people that he just scattered. <laughs> of course, God did not scatter the people on earth on Friday, and then he meets with Abram on Saturday, and he's like, all right, you know, go do this. What we can say is that before Genesis 12, the sinful heart of man manifested itself in so many wicked ways. So many wicked ways. Like when you read Genesis 3 to Genesis 11, there's not a lot of positivity going on. Between Genesis 3 and Genesis 11, we read that most of humanity carried little about the things of God. Yes, we got a few bright spots, and you know, even those bright spots like Noah are like somewhat questionable at times, you know. But we see what's going on. Without God, wickedness abounds. Wickedness abounds. Ponder, ponder with me for a moment what the world would be like if God either like did, did not exist or was like a deist. You know what a deist is? God created the world, and then after he created the world, got up in the recliner, sipping on a Mai Tai, right? Just letting us have at it. What would the world be like? If God did, does not providentially intervene into the hearts of some men and women, then this world would be far more wicked than what it currently is. But God is merciful. 
God is merciful. In Genesis 12, we begin to see how God will reconcile man back to himself. The path back to the garden is going to begin with Abram. Here's what's going on in Genesis 12, verses 1 to 9, and why the life of Abram set a trajectory for God's people to be a blessing to the world by proclaiming the gospel and living, having a people living Christ-shaped lives. Abram, as you can read from the text here, is originally from Ur of the Chaldees, located in kind of modern-day Iraq toward Kuwait. So if you're good with geography, that's probably helpful. If you're bad with geography, sorry, we'll get a map later. Um, but that's kind of where it's at, modern day. In ancient times, Ur was located kind of downstream. Remember the great city of Babylon that comes up, you know, gets to the book of Daniel. At the end of Genesis 11, we read that the father of Abram moved his family to another city called Haran. Haran is located kind of in the modern day Turkey-Syria border. Uh, the trek between Ur and Haran is not short. It would have taken months for, for, the, for the family to move this kind of distance. It's kind of crazy when you think about it. As you turn the page from Genesis 11 to Genesis 12, the story picks up with the Lord speaking to Abram. Here's what the Lord said. Go from your country, God says to Abram, and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I'm going to get to the why here in a moment. Why is God saying this? But let's look at the request that God is asking of Abram. God is asking Abram to pack up his family and his things and to move to a land that he is unfamiliar with. The Lord is asking Abram to take a blind step of faith, and I'm using the word blind very intentionally. Here's why I use that word. Abram like, did not have Google Maps. Not like pulled up on a smartphone. He's like, all right, I'm living in Haran. Got to go to Canaan. All right, what's the, what, what, what route should I take? None of that's going on here. He likely had no map other than the stars to guide the way. Abram and those who followed him did not have like a LinkedIn profile like to send out the resume to employers in Canaan, right? As you'll see in a moment, Abram was given no rational reason to move, at least by our modern day sensibilities. Like, can you think of a rational reason for him to go? I can't. Not, not, by, not by the way I've been trained to think. You know, if we're being honest, by our standards, we would consider Abram reckless and crazy. You are about, Abram, to ruin your life and the lives of your family members. It's all good here in Haran. You've accumulated great wealth. From a rational perspective, Abram will destroy his legacy by moving to Canaan. What we read in Genesis 12 is one of the many reversals in Holy Scripture. What we think should happen, right? God is going to do the opposite. Abram's legacy will actually not be ruined. As a matter of fact, it's going to thrive and grow. Some of you um, moved for this church from Minnesota to Iowa, and you kind of experienced some strange reactions because I've heard the stories, you know? Some of you who moved from the Twin Cities to the Des Moines Metro, and you got the question, so, so why are you quitting your job? Uh, why are you pulling your kids from, you know, the school they've been going to? Why are you putting the house for sale? 
I'm, I'm moving for a church plant. And then, like, the response is, like, you, from the other person was, like, you have a third eye. <laughs> it's like, who does that? Likewise, Abram was walking in obedience before God. Abram, and some of you, had the faith to follow the call of God. Hebrews 11 in the New Testament picks up on this theme. We read, By faith, Abram obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, an inheritance that, frankly, he had no idea about. And when he went out, not knowing where he was going, by faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. He's referencing the future now. Um, Isaac is Abram's son. Jacob is Isaac's son. Heirs with him in the same promise. So just think about what's going on here for a moment. God says to Abram, I'm going to give you an inheritance, the land, right? You have never been there. You don't know who currently lives there. You don't know the vegetation. You don't know the water sources for your flocks. You really don't even know the climate. But you, Abraham, Abram at this time, need to go. The, the, the request is even more outstanding when you realize how dependent people were on the land. You want to know what the land is like because you're completely dependent upon the land. And now you're to go to this other land that you've never been. Listen how our, our brother Augustine says about this passage about Abram in particular. He had received nothing from him. What he's referencing here is Abram had received nothing from God, right? And he believed his promise. We do not yet believe him, though we have already received so much. Think about it. That's what we have received so much from God, Augustine says, yet we have such a hard time believing, yet we have this guy, Abram, who's never been given anything from God, and God says, go, and he's willing to go. Was Abram ever in position to say to him, I will believe you because you promised me that and paid up? Right? No. He believed from, every, from the very first command given without having received anything else at all. Go out from your country, he was told, and from your kindred. So he's leaving family behind, right? And go into a country which I will give you. And Augustine continues on to say, and he believed straight away, and God didn't give him that country, but he kept it for his seed. Just think about that. God says to Abram, hey, I'm going to give you this land. But actually, Abraham doesn't, isn't alive to see the inheritance come to fruition. It was part of a legacy he was leaving, though. That's one of the points Augustine is making. It's a, it's a legacy-building point is that, yes, Abram has the faith. He believed and obeyed, but Abram never truly settled in the promised land. He never received the tangible benefits of his obedience. Under the leadership of Abram, Israel would, not, would someday possess the land, but well after he died. Now, here's, here's the rest of the travel narrative from Genesis 12. At the age of 75, Abram packs up his family and moves to Canaan. He arrives in Canaan, and along the way, Abram builds altars as, as his worship to God, right? And verse 9 ends with these words, and Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. That's 
Genesis 12, verse 9. It is likely Abram and his family passed through Canaan, and then they saw the Canaanites, and they're like, we got to go on a little bit further here. The Canaanites presented a direct physical threat to Abraham. A lot of physical distance is traveled in only nine verses, right? About 400 miles. But the travel misses the point of the passage. Abram is, provi- is proving to be a man of faith, which is what the Lord needs to accomplish his purposes. Now, do not get me wrong here. If the Lord had purposed something, it will be accomplished, period. But God wants his people to trust him to achieve his purposes. Abram is the man of the hour. Abram, we read here, is the, like the consummate man of faith, a sinner. If you continue to read about the life of Abraham, a sinner for sure, but a man of faith. And in and through Abram, God makes promises. Like, if you ever read, uh, heard of the idiom, don't write checks you can't cash? Well, when God writes a check, it will be cashed. Let's read the promises in verses 2 and 3. The Lord says to Abram, And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It is these two verses I really want to dial into for the remainder of this sermon. From these verses, we read about several promises. First, from the offspring of Abram, a great nation, that actual that, the Hebrew word also means tribe, so nation, tribe, a great nation will emerge. What kind of nation are we talking about? Well, we'll hold on to that. Number two, the Lord will always be on the side of his people or his nation or his tribe, right? When others bless God's people, God will bless in return. When other people curse God's people, God will judge. Translation, nothing is going to thwart God's plan. Number three, the nation from the offspring of Abram will bless all other nations throughout the world. That is critical. That is very important. The nation from the offspring of Abram will bless all the other nations throughout the world. This last promise is why, like the purpose, why God is a chosen people for himself to bless. I'm going to work through these promises one at a time, but really focusing on that third promise. First, God says to Abram that he will make him a great nation. Some people have been taught that the primary fulfillment of this promise is the nation of Israel, specifically when King David was ruling. ruling. I've also heard that this promise has been fulfilled in the current nation of Israel. Don't think either interpretation is correct. I do not believe that ethnic Israel is the primary focus of this passage, and I do not think that the current state of Israel is the point of this passage. Now, is it accurate to say that under the rule of King David, there were many faithful followers of God? Absolutely. Absolutely. But is the term nation in Genesis 12 defined by ethnic status or by faith? Ethnic status or by faith? Galatians 3 gives us the answer. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So if an ethnic Jew is not following God, they are not a part of that family line. They are not of the people or nation referenced in Genesis 12. 
Without faith, you cannot be a part of God's people, period. No exceptions. No exceptions. And I know some people would disagree with that. And I can respect that. But that's not how I interpret Holy Scripture. I'm already giving away the answer from Galatians, but to be crystal clear, the nation referenced in Genesis 12 is anyone throughout time that has faith in God. The saving power of the cross, you might be thinking to yourself, Pastor Sean, all this took place way before Jesus was born, like way before. And I'm here to say to you, the power of the cross works eschatologically backward and forward. So that was the first promise, right? God's going to make a great nation. Second, the second promise, which is often forgotten about, is the protection of God that we read in Genesis 12. God will bless those who are a blessing. God will curse those who are not a blessing, right? What is not being communicated is that the people of God will not endure suffering. That is certainly the case. That has been the case historically. We have specific books in the Bible that talk about suffering because the people of God do suffer. It's not what's being said here. What is being said is that God will ultimately execute justice on behalf of his people, either in this life or at the second advent of Jesus Christ, when Jesus returns. And this has proven to be true from the time of Abram onwards. For example, God gave his people the land Canaan. But what do we read as we get into like the books of Joshua? Who fought on behalf of God's people? The Lord. The Lord fought. The moral of the story is that God made a promise and God will fulfill his promise. You can cash that check. The last promise and the one that is central of today's message is that God's people are blessed. We're blessed. And we are to be a blessing. Here's the heart of what's going on in verses 2 and 3. When God says to Abram, I'm going to bless you, what is being conveyed is divine favor. God says, I'm blessing you with divine favor. When I say divine favor, I'm not talking about the name it, claim it, prosperity gospel, which is a false gospel. Prosperity gospel is all about taking from God. True Christianity is all about receiving whatever God gives. It's a huge distinction. In God's sovereignty, he is choosing a people for himself. He is going to give his people the land. We read in Genesis 12, 2, that the world will know of God's people, and in turn, the nations will know the name of God. I do not want to derail the main point of the sermon, but the language we read in the New Testament about God electing and choosing does not pop up out of nowhere. It's not like we get to Ephesians 1, John 10, 1 Peter 1, to name a few passages. Since the creation of the world, it has been God's prerogative and his prerogative alone to choose and elect his people. That same theme is going all throughout the Old Testament. It's God's prerogative to set his divine favor on whomever he chooses. So, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have indeed been blessed by God. And even more to the point, you've been blessed by God, as we read in Ephesians 1-3, with heavenly blessings. All these spiritual blessings from heaven. Because you've been blessed, you are now supposed to go bless others. You cannot grant divine favor. That's not how you are to bless others. 
but you have been tasked by God to make his name known among the nations. We read from the prophet Malachi. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. My name will be great among the Des Moines metro. Like when we see nations, we think world, but God wants us to get down a little bit into the weeds and the details of actually where we live. We want the name of God to be made known among the Des Moines metro. And in every place, increase will be offered to my name and a pure offering, for my name will be great among the nations. My name, once again, will be made great in the Des Moines metro, says the Lord of hosts. When God says you are to be a blessing, so you're, to, you're going to be blessed, but now you're to be a blessing. When God says you're to be a blessing, there's a slight variation in the Hebrew language. The word here could also mean make peace or to offer a gift, right? Blessing is the most accurate way to translate the Hebrew word, but the way God's people bless the nations actually has a tangible effect. God's people exist in a time and place for the purpose of making a discernible difference. Therefore, when I say all of Christ for all of life for all of the Des Moines Metro, I am suggesting that we are called by God to be a blessing to make a tangible difference here in the Des Moines Metro. And that and the tangible effect that we are to have on our community is not rooted in, say, altruism. The tangible effects that we are to have is not to make ourselves feel good. Like if I just do that one thing, I do that one charity today, I feel good about myself. A lot of people like do charity that way, and it's actually quite selfish. Because you're trying to actually end up receiving something in return. That's not why we want to have a tangible effect, so that Sean Powers can feel good. The tangible effect that we are to have is not rooted in a desire for others in the community to look at Redemption Hill, look at Redemption Hill and say, hey, look at all those nice things they're doing right? They must be nice people. No, everything we do leads back to making the name of God known. Parents, when you volunteer at school, you're, you're giving up your time to make the name of Christ known. You serve at the soup kitchen to make the name of Christ known. When you pack meals at Meals for the Heartland, you do so to make the name of Christ known. We want our good works to be a blessing. Yes, we are, we are to have that tangible effect. But everything we do must be traced back to Christ. Now, do not misunderstand what I'm saying. I could hear the objection. Is there value in doing good for the sake of doing, you know, is there value in doing what is right for the sake of rightness? And my response is always motives matter when it comes to what you do. Motives matter when it comes to your virtue. Why do you do the things that you do? It is clear from Genesis 12 that the motive to bless is because we have been blessed by God. Each and every one of you who calls yourself a Christian have been blessed by God. That is your motive. Look what God has done for me. I don't deserve this. I mean, you, you talk about the material things that you have. You don't deserve any of that. I don't deserve to be saved by God been blessed in so many ways. You know, here in America, we tend to forget that. We tend to forget 
all that God has done for us, all the ways he has indeed blessed us. In Genesis 22, we read about Abram and his willingness to sacrifice his son Isaac. The story is a sermon in itself, but I want you to notice how the theme of blessing the nations is restated, right? By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, Abram, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of the enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. It is interesting to me how the potential sacrifice of Isaac is a picture of the actual sacrifice of Christ. And it is the actual sacrifice of Christ in which the blessings of God are secured for God's people. And it is in the spirit of Christ at work in his people which allows the nations now to be blessed. So, what does it mean for you and me who have been blessed by God to bless the Des Moines Metro, right? I haven't counted for sure, but I'm, I'm fairly certain there's like eight different cities and suburbs represented in this church, maybe nine or ten, right? This entire Des Moines Metro. What does it mean to bless where God has placed us here in central Iowa? Well, the first step is to know who you are in Christ. That's really important. You need to remember that your life is all for Christ. Step two is to remember that every single day of your life is in service to Christ. Whether it's at your job, whether you're at school, whether you're at home, regardless of where God has you, your life is in service to Christ. Step three is to live out steps one and two. We, the church, live out steps one and two in tangible ways. We, the church, carry with us the light of the gospel. We have the privilege to tell others about the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have that tremendous privilege. The baton has been passed to the church to carry this message forward. We, the church, have the privilege of caring for single moms when cars break down. We, the church, fight for the rights of pre-born babies. We, the church, can pack meals for the hungry and serve in the soup kitchen. Everything I mentioned, and we can say so much more of ways that we can make a tangible difference here in the Moy Metro. Everything we do is to bless the nations. And let's just make it really local right here. I mean, a way that we recently blessed is that we bought a bunch of school supplies for needy students for Together for Good and here at Radiant Elementary. But we can go on and on. We can talk about different ways we can bless. I said in the outset that this is not an evangelism message. And I hope you see why. I'm not anti-evangelism, right? Don't need that tweeted out. But I hope you see there's more going on, right? If you want to be a blessing to the nations near and far, 
is to simply be a Christian. Don't overcomplicate it. Strive to bless others in the little things and the big things. You can bless another person with an encouragement. You know, you can bless someone by, hey, holding that door because the person behind you has their hands full. Right? You can bless someone by supporting a ministry like Covenant Mercies, right? We support that particular ministry. To bless the Des Moines Metro includes believing Christ as your Savior and Lord and just simply be Christian. Live out who you are to the glory of God. Like I said, don't overcomplicate what it means to bless others. I think because the Spirit of Christ is indeed at work in you, you probably already know the things you can do. Yes, we support various ministries to bless. And yes, as a church, let's be thoughtful and strategic. Yeah, why not? Let's, but let's be real. It's one thing to write a check to support an orphan in Zambia, and that's a very good way to bless. But the greater way you can glorify God is to bless the people who are right in front of you. God has called his people to be a blessing to the Des Moines metro, and God's people bless the metro by proclaiming the gospel 100%, but also living Christ, a Christ-shaped life. So, all of Christ, for all of life, for all of the Des Moines Metro. Let's pray. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.